Welcome to the latest episode of the Big Ben History Podcast and our series of conversations with the people in the Cabinet Room when Margaret Thatcher resigned in November 1990. Today's interviewee is Michael Howard, who later led the Conservative Party and at the time was in her Cabinet as Environment Secretary. He was and is a proud Thatcherite who thinks she would have won the 1992 election had the party let her stay in power. That she didn't, he blames on one thing alone, an appalling leadership campaign run by her PPS Peter Morrison, an alcoholic who is now believed to have been a sex offender. At one stage, he asked me not to mention the name of a colleague he talks about, hence the beep you'll hear. But we started, as always, by remembering the meeting itself, when the Iron Lady told the Cabinet she was stepping down. It's been well recorded. I mean, it was a, it was a very... Uh... It was a very moving event. Um, she um, had prepared a statement, wasn't really able to f- finish reading it, and um, it was read for her. And was that upsetting for you? It was. It was upsetting. It was the end of an era. I was a great, and I am, I remain a great admirer of what she achieved. Um, and so I was very, very sad uh, that she should uh, be leaving office. Could she have stayed? She could have stayed. Um, if the first ballot had been handled differently, um, once the first ballot had come to the result that it did, I don't think she could have stayed. Um, indeed, I think she would have lost the second ballot quite badly. Um, but if the campaign for the first ballot had been handled differently, I think she could have won it um, and and stayed. Um, I have never understood. In the, the previous year, when she faced a challenge from Anthony Mayer, who was obviously a no-hoper, her campaign was run by Tristan Garrell-Jones, who was probably the most wily operator in the whole of the Palace of Westminster. The following year, the key year when it mattered, and she was challenged by the infinitely more formidable Michael Heseltine, her campaign was run by Peter Morrison, who was frankly hopeless. Um, And I remember phoning him up during that campaign and saying, Peter, is there anything I can do to help? Oh, no, 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 he said, it's all under control, old boy, nothing you can do. And it was a disaster. Um, and once that ballot had taken place, with its consequence, with the result, it was impossible for her to stay, in my opinion. And during that first campaign, were you aware it was going badly, that he wasn't putting his way? Well, I didn't know, um, because I wasn't in... I, since I'd offered and my offer wasn't taken advantage of, I didn't know how the campaign was going. I certainly wasn't impressed with the way in which it was being run. But you do sometimes get campaigns which are badly run but which are nonetheless successful. I didn't know how the votes were going. But if the campaign had been run properly, she could have won that vote, not had to face a second ballot, and history would have been very different. Yes, that's my view. And what happened afterwards, afterwards when you heard the result, uh, just rereading Charles Moore's biography, were you all being sounded out as to what should happen next? I don't particularly remember being sounded out. Obviously, I went to the meeting. I went to, not to, the, I went to the 
meeting with her, which all cabinet ministers did the day before she resigned. Um, that was the key day. And I was, as it happened, um, out of Westminster addressing a lunch at the Finchley Association. Um, and I got back from the association. I saw my... And he said to, he said to me, how can I vote for her on the second ballot? If she stays, people are going to say to me when I knock on their doors at the next election, you're asking me to vote for someone who nearly 200 members of your parliamentary party didn't have confidence in. And that, to me, was the, 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 the final confirmation that she couldn't win the second ballot. I was of the view that there were a lot of people who had voted for her on the first ballot out of loyalty, because they were ministers, many of them, and felt an under, under an obligation to vote for her the first time round, but would have felt released from that obligation second time round. And then you had your one-to-one -one meeting with Margaret Thatcher. Yeah. I think you were second in, actually, just rereading it then, or pretty early on in. I don't know. Into that. I and, uh, and, okay. that yeah. I don't know. Okay, I, I, anyway, all I'm going by Charles Moore's book. And that sided quite a stressful encounter too. That was immensely stressful, because... I had to tell her, I, I had to be honest, I, I said to her, if you decide to f fight on, I will be with you to the last ditch and I will support you. But I am afraid that if you do fight on, you will not only lose, but you could lose heavily and you could be humiliated. And that is the last thing that I want to see. And what was her reaction? She listened. She listened. She, uh, I've described her elsewhere as being at that meeting like a kind of wounded bird. It was very, it was immensely stressful and sad. And uh, it was a tragic end to what I regard as a, a glorious period as Prime Minister. It's a, a massive question, whole books have been read, but how, how had it come to this? Uh, had you seen it coming in the build-up to it? Well, she had got um, more imperious and um, she wasn't quite as open to argument as she'd been for most of her prime ministership. Um, and there's no doubt that she treated Geoffrey Howe in particular quite badly. Um, and, there, you know, there were all the rumblings over the poll tax and, and other things. But notwithstanding all that, uh, I, I remain of the view that if the first campaign had been, that the campaign on the first ballot had been properly run, she could have won that ballot um, with a big enough margin to have continued. And moreover... One thing I've learned um, interviewing politicians is you're very busy people <laughs> and you don't spend as much time as journalists gossiping about who's up and who's down, I suspect. But in the, in the sort of summer and spring of 1990, uh, did you sense that she was standing on a cliff edge? No. Um, no. I only, I only began to think that dangers lay ahead really when Geoffrey Howe made his resignation speech.
that was the first time. And he mentioned the way she uh, treated Jeffrey Howe. Everybody I've interviewed mentions a cabinet meeting. I think his last one before yeah. he resigned. Do, do you remember that as I well? Do. I do, and she she paid back. And uh, you, yeah, it must be an awkward. Were you friendly with Jeffrey as well? Um, I had been very friendly with Jeffrey, but a bit less so, sort of, uh, in that period. Um, but you know, whether one was a friend of his or not, he was a senior colleague and that was no way to treat him and tell me about your relationship with her i mean you're, you're always painted it's very easy to put you in a sort of thatcherite group did, but did you enjoy working with her hugely i mean she was an inspirational leader she was uh, in my opinion she was a very great prime minister uh, i i think she was a peacetime equivalent of, of of churchill because um people forget the the plight we were in in 1979 when she took over um and People thought that the task she faced was totally impossible. I remember um, Peter Jay, who was regarded as a great guru at the time, saying in probably 1978, I remember hearing him say, um, we, we face an impossible situation. If, if, the gov- if the next government makes an attempt, if the next government makes an attempt to deal with our problems, it cannot possibly be more than a one-term government because the measures that are needed will be so unpopular. And, of course, if it doesn't attempt to deal with them, our decline will continue. So people thought our decline was totally inevitable. And it was absolutely, thanks to Margaret Thatcher, that uh, the story was a very different one. And nearly all in that cabinet would agree with you, but some of them also found her infuriating. Did, you ever, did she ever try your patience? I don't think she ever personally tried my patience. I, um, I, I don't think I, I, I never fell out with her really, or, or had a, a disagreeable meeting with her. She was quite often quite challenging. I remember um, the first first job I had, I had to take rather a complicated bill through um, the House of Commons the financial services bill it was the first real attempt to regulate financial services and she asked me behind to come see her behind uh, in her room behind the speaker's chair after the 10 o'clock vote one night and got me to be relaxed offered me a whiskey and then said now michael tell me about the footnote on page 98 of this bill (laughs) now i thought i'd mugged it up because i knew i was in for an inquisition but I had no idea what the footnote on page 98 meant. Uh, that, just this extraordinary work ethic. Yes, and a great mastery of the detail. And, you know, she didn't suffer foods gladly. She expected everybody else to um, come up to her standards. Going back to her fall, and, and, and it'd be very interesting, how, how much did, did the way it happened play into the travails of the, the government in which you were part of, the major government afterwards? If she'd, if, she, if she'd left in a more peaceful, amicable way, would your job afterwards have been easier? You yes, in- I think that's true. I mean, I heard Ken Clark on the radio just a couple of days ago saying that um, there was a bitterness uh, in the discussions, for example, over Maastricht, which there hasn't been in the recent dis- discussions over Brexit, although the divisions are just as there and just as deep, if not more so, um, there, there, wasn't, there, there wasn't the bitterness in the recent debates that there had been 
over-Maastricht, and he attributed that to the fact that there was, to some extent, a spillover from the fall of Thatcher, and I think that's true. And as to the reasons for her fall, how much of it was ideological, i.e. a split over Europe, or how much of it was personal? Do you, do you think this was an important chapter in the Conservative battle over the European Union? Well, it wasn't. It was an important milestone in, in that battle, um, and both of the things you've mentioned played a part. Um, but they weren't fatal. It was, the, it was the, the mismanagement of that campaign on the first ballot, I'm afraid.